Park. It's an 87th Precinct podcast. This is the only podcast in the world dedicated to Ed McBain's seminal series of police procedurals, which began in 1956 with Cop Hater and ended in 2005 with Fiddlers. There were 55 books in the series, and today's podcast looks at book number 43, Widows. My name is Paul Abbott, and to review the book, I'm joined by Mr. Stephen Royston. Hello. And Mr. Morgan Brown. Hello there. And we're obviously still having to do this remotely because we're now fully into Lockdown 3, the revenge of the son of lockdown. <laughs> That's it, yeah. Yeah, and I, I don't know what status people are listening around the world are in, but, uh, you know, as usual, I hope you're safe and well and, and, and all that sort of stuff. We're, yeah, it's strange to be locked down in the middle of winter, but... Uh, yeah, sequels go. It's a really crap one, isn't it? Yeah, it's a boring third sequel. Yeah, which nothing happens. <laughs> so anyway, I do want to say a very special thank you to anyone who has reached out to us on our email, which is hark eighty seven podcast at gmail dot com, or through the Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages, or has bought us a gift at uh, coffee dot com ko fi dot com. We've recently had some very nice messages and some very generous comments and gifts through coffee, and it does it does really make the project worthwhile, especially during this very mad period that we're all going through. So, you know, please do keep in touch. It means a great deal to us. And also, this is kind of breaking news in a way. We'd like to say a massive congratulations to our friend Erin McDonald, the author of the Ed McBain, Evan Hunter companion book, who I did an interview podcast with for the show. She's been nominated for an Edgar Award for her new book about Ian Rankin's work. Fantastic. So that's brilliant. That's a huge thing for anyone involved in mystery and crime to get be nominated for an Edgar is amazing. So well done, Erin. That's fantastic news, yeah. <laughs> It is. It is great news. I only found out today, and it means that instead of just writing about people who've been nominated for Edgar, she is now an Edgar-nominated writer herself. So that's great. That's terrific. Yeah. Okay. So we've reached 1991. We've reached book number 43, which is Widows. And I suppose we better get into, well, a bit of 1991 context before I get into stuff about McBain and the book, really, because I've got a few little bits and pieces. 1991, again, another year that feels like yesterday, but was actually quite a long time ago. It was. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I did a dig out a few little things from 1991 in terms of what happened during the year. I mean, there was a lot going on in 1991, not least the Gulf War. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the first major conflict I can remember anyway. One of the first major conflicts to have total coverage on the news more than ever before. Yeah, the sort of proper rolling kind of um, the modern news era, isn't it? I guess uh, the yeah. first time that really happened. So, so that's one of the fun things that's happening in 1991. Uh, I'll start though with something on the 16th of January 1991, uh, and that is that the final phase of the M40 motorway was opened. <laughs> wow! Do you love a good bit of inf- infrastructure. Date for, for your diaries, that, isn't it? <laughs> Do you know where the M40 connects? Uh, the M40 connects... Um, does the M40 go like Coventry to London? Yeah, West Midlands. The West Midlands conurbation. Well done. Got some motorway points for you. Well, tri- driven up and down them all at some point. Not aimlessly, you know, kind of going somewhere. <laughs> Just... Hither and thither. Yeah, hither and yon. 
Uh, right, well, we move on to the 26th of February, in which Tim Berners-Lee introduces the first ever web browser, and the first, and that year also sees the first web page Ooh. go online, which was just a basic page on the CERN website. Well, what what was the very first website, the CERN page? You can actually find it online still. It's literally just a list of, this is the internet, <laughs> the World Wide Web. This is, you know, this is what it is. Cool. So that's 26th of February 1991, so that's a, an important day. And... Fast forward to 2021, and we've got, I don't know, TikTok, where you can watch a, a, a dog whistling into a toy, like I sent you both a link to before. <laughs> That's good. Um, less amusing, though, but relevant, really, in terms of the context of the books and uh, going forward, is on the 3rd of March, is um, in LA, it's the beating of, of Rodney King, uh, which was obviously perpetrated by some LA police officers, and that's an important thing to mention historically and certainly for discussing going forward books that deal with crime in cities anyway. Indeed. But uh, we jump to the 2nd of June and uh, just again for the purposes of infrastructure I would like to announce that on the 2nd of June 1991 CCAT catamarans were introduced on the Dover <laughs> to Calais hover speed route. <laughs> oh, well they got rid of the hovercrafts. Yeah they changed them oh. to, uh, to catamarans. What an awful day. Yeah, it's the beginning of the end. <laughs> and then uh, it's amazing how the second half of the year basically is taken up with the dissolution of the Soviet Union. It did. That finished at Christmas time, I think. Yeah, so we have Boris Yeltsin becoming president of the SFSR in the 12th of June. And then it snowballs from there, essentially, doesn't it? And, and uh, I think there was, there so. was there the coup that year, the attempt to do it. Cool. Yeah, I believe so. During August, I remember I was on holiday in Greece. I remember it well. Uh, lots of news happening in 1991 because we also had uh, the end of apartheid in South Africa on the 17th uh-huh. of June. Crime-wise, 22nd of July, Jeffrey Dahmer is arrested for fans of insane serial killers. Yeah, and uh, yeah, essentially the rest of my year is marked out as basically being Soviet Union uh, mm. stops. And yeah, so there we go. There's, <laughs> it's a busy year in 1991, the year into which this book is launched. It comes out in the second, well, it's copyright 2nd of January 1991. So it's written pre most of this stuff happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's find out what was going on for McBain at the time. Uh, not much. It's Widows is his only book in 1991. But on the 15th of October 1991, Skladacha, the Czech adaptation of Jigsaw, is aired. Cool. And we would have talked about that back on the Jigsaw episode. And the only other thing that's mentioned is that Evan Hunter has an IMDb reference for this year because for three years running in the early 90s, Robert England, Freddy mm-hmm. Krueger, yeah. presented the Horror Hall of Fame, <laughs> which was presumably like a it was like an awards ceremony, like a, an academy for horror things. Yeah. Mm. They only ran to three of them, but in the Horror Hall of Fame 2, which was 1991, the Birds was inducted as one of the, you know, like, this gets a special award because it's a classic horror film. And so uh, Evan Hunter is listed on the IMDb because he's there, there, not at the ceremony, Hmm. but at the, uh, he's included in a film clip in it there anyway. I wonder how Robert Unglum opened the envelopes to the uh, winners. <laughs> just shredded paper everywhere. Perhaps that's why they canned it after three years, because it just, just went on too long. <laughs> yeah, try to stick it all back together afterwards. Yeah. And the winner is... Oh, shit. 
<laughs> yeah. But I think what's what's interesting, though, is that even though he doesn't actually attend the ceremony, the whole ceremony, which is on YouTube, opens with a parody of the scene in Birds where the school teacher is sat on the bench and the birds gather on the on the apparatus behind her, the huh. playground stuff. And but it's just Rob, it's Robert England there, and it's playing the song "Rissledy Rossledy," which is the kids' tune that Evan Hunter gets royalties for because he wrote it as an original song credited to his name. <laughs> so he would have been very happy that they did that parody at the start because it would have given him a massive check for royalties for "Rissledy Rossledy" from the birds. Amazing. So there you go. Yeah, he, uh, he would have appreciated that anyway. I'm just looking down the list of what else went into the Horror Hall of Fame too. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was inducted. Fantastic. The comics publisher EC Comics. Oh, yeah. what, they do. what sort of thing did they do? Well, I, th- I think they actually they did some of the kind of um, sort of horror anthology series. I'm trying to think which. Uh, I, I, I can't even remember, but some of the, the kind of horror comics that, that the likes of um, uh, Creepshow and things were based on. Oh, that okay, sort yeah. of thing is what yeah. I associate with them. Fair enough. Uh, Bella Lugosi is inducted. Wonderful. Uh, Roger Corman, who is uh, gets the producer director, you know, in, inducted as producer director, is presented Amazing. by William Shatner. <laughs> God, what a night that must. Have <laughs> that's been. a combo. That's a combo, isn't it? William Shatner giving Roger Corman an award. God, I, I think the, the reason it only ran for a few years is because they peaked so early that the, there was nowhere else to go. By the sounds of things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've got to keep the powder dry on some of your loons, haven't you? You can't, <laughs> you can't get them all out at the second showing. And it was also, it was co-hosted by the Crypt Keeper animatronic, I think. So. <laughs> Sounds magnificent. Yeah, indeed, indeed. We need one of those bring back... Um, what's Robert Unglund up to these days? He's, he's still alive, isn't he? Yeah, I think he's probably still around. Um, I, t- I occasionally see him posing on uh, Elvira's to Twitter feed or uh, Instagram pages because uh, Elvira's a good follow on all social media. Very, very funny. And yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, lots of pictures of her with these famous horror alumni anyway. <laughs> so anyway, let's move on from this horror madness uh, to some. Oh, I mean, it's not like Widows isn't entirely horror free. Let's let's <laughs> say. But. but Let's yeah, let's get stuck in. Uh, and I'll open with the dedication, and then we'll think about, have a little think about the book. Dedicated to Jane Powell and Dick Moore, and yeah, these are both quite famous people. So Dick Moore was also known as Dicky Moore, who was born in 1925, died in 2015. Who was a, an actor who first appeared in silent film. So that's cool. quite a thing, because he appeared as a baby in things in the <laughs> 20s. I was just going to say, I suppose that would be a silent role, really, wouldn't it? You wouldn't have much many lines, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, later appeared in a series of films made by Hal Roach, who was the Laurel and Hardy guy, wasn't he? Um, he made a load of films called Our Gang, which were kids' comedies, kids-starring comedies. And he was apparently the first person to give Shirley Temple a romantic on-screen kiss. Oof. So that's quite the legacy. Quite. And his wife, who was his third wife, was Jane Powell, who's still alive. She was born in 1929, who was a singer, actor and dancer in a lot of MGM musicals. 
Yeah, so, I, I thought I recognised the name Seven Brides for Seven Brothers and, and the like. Yes, yeah, that's it. She sort of it looked to me like she sort of always played second best friend to the main star <laughs> type thing. But yeah, yeah. she certainly had a, a, a storied career, and they got together at some point, um, and were clearly um, good friends of Evan Hunter. They lived in Manhattan and in uh, Connecticut, so that's <laughs> same circles yeah. as usual. So there you go. We know who those people are. Right. Let us get to Widows. I will just check in. It was my first time reading it. First time for anyone else? No, no, I'd read it before. Uh, uh, yeah, second time through for me as well. Oh, okie dokie. So it's just me who's the uh, newbie to this one. Initial thoughts then, Steve. What was your recollection of it or feelings towards it? Well, as you know, I can never remember. <laughs> Well, well, that's not true, but yeah, quite a few. This was another one that I couldn't particularly remember much of whatsoever. Perhaps that's because I, I, I don't think I was a big fan first time round, and I wasn't a big fan second time round, really. Right. Uh, would be my overriding impression. But yeah. that's not to say it doesn't have its moments, but um, yeah, the central story... Um, being the, uh, should we start discussing the plot or? Yes, go go for it. Uh, being the murder of a chain of people who are involved with one another, um, mistresses and wives and other mistresses, and the central character, this um, Arthur Schumacher as well, this old geezer. Uh, I think the biggest flaw in the book is you could not give toss about any of that <laughs> I, I thought uh, uh, yeah. and it therefore just made the book reasonably dull in that respect yeah. I, I thought and yet obviously it is well not obviously but it is another of those where he has numerous plates spinning and yet yeah. the other strains with um, Eileen and Bert were um were very well done, I thought, and um, yeah. quite interesting. So, a book of two halves. It, it, it's yeah, I totally agree. Like I'd forgotten, I remembered this quite well in some respects, but I'd forgotten the main plot completely. But I, I did remember all the stuff with Corella's family, uh, and as you say, the the Eileen and Bert uh, stuff as well. And it kind of came as a surprise to me that those weren't the main things, really. The other thing as well is. Even the bit with Carella and his family and his father, I don't think really delivered what you were kind of meant. Because ultimately, right, we've not heard about Carella's father for about 50 years, I reckon, at this point. It's probably <laughs> the 1950s. No, but seriously, isn't it? It must be 30 years, 25 years since he's been in any of the books. And so therefore it was... It, it was difficult to like buy into that kind of as much as you were supposed to as well. Well, I mean, the thing that it, it harks back to is um, Till Death, yeah. which mm-hmm. is 1959 that comes which out. Which I don't so. think I like that one either, did I? <laughs> no, I don't, think, I don't think we scored Till Death <laughs> no, very high. So, In fact, I can probably tell you how we scored it. Yeah, I seem to remember that. Oh, we gave it 69 overall on our Kenneth system. That would have uh, probably low for an early entry, that, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, just, I don't know. I found it a bit of a funny read, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think what you both say echoes my feelings about it coming to it new as well. It is, 
as you say, we've got what is supposedly the central plot, which is these string of victims associated with Arthur Schumacher, uh, someone we don't know and don't care about. <laughs> um, but then there are these other strands as well. The stuff about Eileen sort of breaking away from Bert finally and having her own proper story huh. is is very well done, I think. I think it makes yeah. a difference to the character. You know, there's a certain amount of interest to be had with the fact that the investigation of... Well, I suppose we better say it up front, because uh, anyone listening will know this by now, is that Corella's father is killed in, in the book. Off screen, as it were. And we have to sort of... he ha- Us and him have to leave the investigation to these cops from the 4-5 in Riverhead. And so we have another parallel world of police work going on in every other chapter or bits in every chapter whatever it is which is interesting uh-huh. because it's another part of the city yeah it's a different well it's a, another use a way of discussing uh, the racial makeup in the city or the treatment of particularly black people in the city in the early 90s uh, by giving black cops the opportunity to to pursue black uh, perpetrators yeah so that's interesting uh-huh. as well and it's it's got little shades i think of Tiny little shades of like uh, Chester Himes, he's nuss about it there. Not not much, but he sort of has two quite significant, interesting looking black cops in a black neighbourhood. Yeah, the, the, there's definitely a little bit of Coffin Head and Grave Digger, just a hint, isn't there? Yeah, which uh, helps to contrast with Corella at the end anyway, which we'll get to any, uh, when we get there. And yeah, so it's... Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think some of it's really impactful and clearly has a an important thing in its setting up for future books. Hmm. But the, yeah, otherwise the central plot is a bit well, maybe. some some dirty old man gets <laughs> shot. Yeah, that you see, you know, it was no doubt intentional. Maybe like a kind of a, a comment on New York at the time, where he's you know he's clearly got a lot of characters who were like killed off and it's just a series of really selfish people aren't they just you know one yeah. after the other really and therefore you don't you know because you don't feel any sympathy with any of them even at all really which is terrible given that they murdered in fairly ruthless fashion there's not much suspense there really and there's not much because you're just reading it thinking well it's just going to be one of these people and surprise surprise it is one of the people <laughs> that yeah. you've met in the book and it's just like oh right well one of these thoroughly unlikable people is slightly more unlikable than the rest yeah and he's just going around killing a load of other unlikable people <laughs> and it's just like all oh, right fa- fair enough which is a shame because you know as i say the other plots very interesting Hmm. Um, hmm. so i've i've made a few notes as from how it starts out we open well i think what's interesting though and i think this has happened since the book lullaby certainly we open at the the first crime scene the first murder scene of of susan brower uh, a girl that we don't know who she's connected to or whatever and monaghan and monroe are there but they're picking at each other they're sniping at each other again trouble in paradise they've not been quite the same have they so yeah, since he started making one of them more emotional than the other, if he's uh, he's starting to uh, yeah play with their relationship a little bit, which is interesting. <laughs> and I mean, I mean, <laughs> whatever we say about it, it's not to say this book isn't chock full of stuff. Because if I've got on my notes here, Monaghan Munro, the the original murder scene, we've got 
Eileen Burke taking up a role in a hostage negotiation team. Yep. We've got a string of erotic letters. We've got Hawes and O'Brien arguing who can tell Corella his father is dead. Uh-huh. And we've and we've also obviously got the surrounding thing of Corella's father being killed and him having to talk to his family. This is all chapter one. Yeah, it's certainly packed with stuff. De- definitely, it's not boring, that's for sure. Yeah. Definitely not. I mean, we should probably talk about the title, actually. That's something that's worth mentioning, because it's called Widows. And obviously, we've got the widow in the sense of Corella's mother is left a widow. There's a sort of emotional widowing for Corella's sister in this. There is. Um, then, obviously... There's an actual widow. But they call themselves grass widows, grass widows don't they? Yeah. Which is a, Which is a phrase I've never heard before. No, me either, and I didn't bother to look into it either. So it'll have to remain a mystery unless Morgan knows what it means. I, I don't really, and I didn't mean to look into it, and I completely uh, failed to. Yeah, it's it's an odd one, isn't it? Uh, oh, hang on. It, a grass widow is a woman whose husband is away often or for a prolonged period. So Which, there we go. I don't know if that really actually applies to the people to whom it's applied to in the book, but... No, no. Anyway, it trundles along. You've got just you have a body count piling up with the main story, and I think I can't get away from this though that, like Steve says, you don't really care about these people. It's it's interesting them trying to track family down and having to do that legwork stuff that the books rely on to be what they are. You know, you know procedural aspects of it. But yeah, your attention is always totally drawn to what's happening with Corella and really what's happening with Eileen Burke, which I think was is a a very good move putting her into hostage negotiation mm. how did you find those bits yeah i really enjoyed uh it really enjoyed that i think, I think that's a, a, an excellent move there's uh some great scenes of her uh, first sort of time out in the field is uh is excellent with the the old guy and uh she, she becomes quite the hero and then gets reprimanded for it yeah <laughs> <laughs> So it's yeah, it's an interesting way for him to address sexism as well, isn't it? Because yeah. it's this guy who just keeps like reprimanding all the the good female people on his team. Uh, and that's that's interesting. And I I didn't twig at all really. I didn't put the pieces together that this was somehow going to end up in a as part of the denouement with Corella. Mm. But it, I think that that came along quite nicely. I like yes. the way they sort of sort of dovetail together at the end. Yeah, that, that's by far the best most interesting thing is like it's like a proper big almost cinematic finale isn't it oh yeah definitely with with all the strains of um all pulled together really and like the big kind of stakeout and snipers and helicopters and And the the, the um, cutting between the different uh different groups and yeah 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 so so that bit was really good and so it, it does end with a really good uh, f- finale, def- definitely. Um, but that's kind of when the main plot. It's just, it's just such a shame that the main plot kind of uh, dominates as it does. Because he's done this in the past, where he, he he has a number of plots and will give them like equal measure. But in this one, the main plot of the Arthur Schumacher and the murders does seem to dominate the page count, or it certainly seemed. It seems that way to me, anyway. I think it's yeah. You, whether it does or not, I, I couldn't say. Yeah, you but see, you certainly not. your focus is on it, though, isn't uh, it? Yeah, so. it is. Yeah, yeah. 
and yeah but that's interesting you're entirely right about that end bit though i think that i think the book is worth reading for the the way it finishes off oh. it's absolutely you know a testament to his skill as a thriller writer as much as anything that the way it it plays out at the end absolutely. yeah definitely and the fact that he's he's managed to get eileen burke into this situation and also that he brings in quite a lot of relevant stuff to the time in which the book is set so mm. he has a character called the preacher in yeah. there who's around whipping up crowds and things like that who as best as i can tell really is the reverend al sharpton yes i i, I assumed that was kind of who who they were basing that on well there's, there's yeah. definitely a character like that in the um chester himes but i think he's even in more than one yeah and is he even called the preacher as well he'd be called something similar yeah yeah, well, I mean, I'm not going to speak to, to sort of Al Sharpton's history, but obviously Reverend Al Sharpton is a very famous uh, civil rights activist and particularly interested in, in sort of the attitudes towards the, the black community in New York. And so he was around for a lot of the stuff that was happening in New York, including another thing that's mentioned, because the the, uh, the preacher keeps going on about no more jogger justice. And that's referring to a case where a woman was beaten and raped in Central Park. And, of course, the first thing that happens is they round up all the the black people nearby. And this is a real thing that happened in the real world. And Al Sharpton was part of, you know, involved in, in sort of the, the campaign for justice for that. And that played out over several years until it ended up with the city having to pay damages to the people they'd arrested. And, uh, yeah, I won't go into detail about that because it's very <laughs> sort of... Yeah, dep- well, it's very depressing for everyone involved, really. Uh, but I, I, I'm going to mention this just because of its contemporaneousness to now, in fact, that when all this stuff was happening in New York in 1989, 1990, that sort of time, which was a very lawless time for the city, it was that had the highest crime rates it had had for years. That was when Donald Trump had first started his, oh, we should have more death penalties. You know, so he goes from being just this businessman to starting writing open letters in newspapers saying we should have the death penalty for people like these. Ah, uh, is this the Central Park Five? Yes, it is that's, the Central that's Park Five. That's the one, yeah. And then they were eventually uh, the DNA evidence completely acquitted them. Yeah, and they have to. The city had to pay forty-one yeah, million dollars right. dollars to them. Yeah. Oh, is there a Netflix documentary about this? I believe there might be. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There is for almost every crime that's been committed now, so it wouldn't surprise <laughs> me at all. Yeah, but yeah, it was just funny as I was doing my research, mm. having having just got Donald J. Trump out of office, having done having pushed forward a string of executions in prison. Uh, that he, you go back and you look into your research for this, and you incidentally come across him at this time calling, screaming for the death penalty for these yeah. people, taking out full page ads in national newspapers to press for the death penalty without any sort of particular evidence. Yeah. Yeah. classic trump <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, and we know that uh, mcbain didn't like trump if you go on the evidence of what he how he <laughs> side eyes him in the book downtown anyway and says no one's called donald trump that's a stupid name <laughs> you know we know that uh, mcbain was certainly not a republican anyway let's put it that way indeed but anyway, that's the real world intruding onto the world of the 87th Precinct in this fantastic final sequence, which is both tense and grim and takes us back as well to 
another old book, which is Lady, Lady, I Did It, because at the end, Corella comes face to face with one of the people who killed his father. And he's got the opportunity to... Administer his own justice. But the difference between Corella and Kling is huge. So whereas Lady, Lady, I Did It is the start of Kling's collapse as a human being, (laughs) because he does pummel this guy to near death anyway. Mm-hmm. Here, Corella. God, can you imagine if he'd have written that Corella actually killed this guy? Yeah. It would have but... changed the tone of the rest of the series, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it would have been terrifying. Yeah. But it all it does, what he does is he, and I suppose he he makes Corella even more the moral cop that we know he he is. He's in the hardest situation in his life and he's got to deal with this. So. Yeah, rather than turning it into James Elroy's 87th Precinct. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, loads of totally corrupt cops. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely, everyone deeply just sort of um, yeah morally bankrupt and yeah. <laughs> no, but the uh, yeah. The, so the finale is definitely the um, the high point of the book, actually, which is quite nice if it comes to the end. So um, yeah, keeps keeps going. But I must admit, you know, to kind of. Because it it does wind up the earlier plot quite early, and you're just thinking, "Oh, I wonder what's going to, you know, occupy all these pages at the end." And obviously, it's uh, it's that. Yeah, yes, it is, and it's yeah, it's worth reading to get to that. I mean, in terms of eighty seventh precinctness, it's it's a bit hard to tell. It's procedural. There's no there's none of the massive tropes of this of the the series particularly, oh. uh, but there is a you know a couple of nice references like Willis talking about time moving like molasses in the precinct <laughs> and and my, my other thing that i've noticed in this actually one thing that i think i've mentioned a couple of times is mcbain's obsession with red-haired green-eyed irish girls <laughs> and so in this he gives corella a recollection to like his first proper sexual experiences with this girl who's like the ultimate red-haired green-eyed irish girl and it must have been a thing from McBain's life, because they're in almost every book. Yeah, he does seem to have a, a particular fascination, doesn't he? So, yeah, it, it seems likely. So I, I assume there's a few little hints and tips to uh, the story of McBain's own life, because like, if there's something's taking place in Riverhead, that's the Bronx, isn't it? And that's where he grew up after leaving Harlem. And there's one bit, actually, where he mentions about uh, Corella's talking about his dad going off in an ambulance for a, after a heart attack. Now we're two years or so down the line from McBain's first heart attack, and he's talking about his dad, like his nurse holding a newspaper over his head so he doesn't get his face wet. As they <laughs> him into the amb- that must be a recollection from him. It seems very likely, yeah. But yeah, all right. Well, I suppose you what what we must do is then is we must talk about how the the main plot resolves really because it's a bit like watching a Columbo episode for me and you watch a Columbo episode and you see him hounding one person particularly but then at the end it would be like if in a Columbo episode at the end suddenly someone you'd seen in the background in one scene suddenly turned out to be the murderer yeah (laughs) it's like if the guy who sold him a bowl of chilli turned out to be the murderer (laughs) or something like that Uh, go on let's talk about who done it then baffled well yeah it seems it seems perhaps that's what doesn't help it it just seems fairly preposterous doesn't it so you've got a guy who was married and then he gets divorced so he has uh, and he gets married to his mistress 
and then he is having an, an affair with somebody else and she is the first person to get killed and then the second person to get killed is the current wife isn't it yeah and then the third person to get killed is the ex-wife yeah the first wife and then does anybody get killed after that car no i think i, th- I think that's it um it, it, it's noted when he's killed that his his dog is also killed and there's there's quite a lot of just sort of mention of, of the dog, the dog. And yeah. why would anyone kill the dog and um and the, so that you kind of get you, you click that that must be somehow significant and the, the other weird thing is that the the, the the will is a bit peculiar in that the the estates divvied up between the two daughters of the first marriage. So obviously that puts them under a bit of suspicion. That but then randomly he gives ten thousand pounds to the, a vet, and then the woman who gave him the dog, which well, seems a bit weird. Not even the woman who gave the woman who worked at the pet shop where his oh. wife bought the dog. Oh yeah, that's yeah. And so they obviously go and see her, and obviously she's like, oh my God, this is so unbelievable, he's so generous, I only ever met him. But, you know, dot, dot, dot. So so that's a bit preposterous as well. Also preposterous is her stupid... There's a lot of letters in this book as well. Another another thing that um, that group, you know, he's he's like... Sex pesty stuff he puts in the books around this time. Just recently, he? yeah, he seems to find an excuse to write some kind of like little pornographic bits every single uh, book, doesn't he? It's uh, we could have done without that, really. So these letters are signed. That's the main thing we've not talked about actually. In it, classic eighty yeah. seventh precinct confusion in that they take for granted when these letters date from from the get-go and they don't realize that they've got the wrong year because they've got the wrong year they got the wrong person yeah they, th- they think it's from one person and yet it's from another and these letters so they're reading the letters that have been sent to and from and yet they're not in total response to one another are they um and these letters are signed by, which... Yeah, it's like high and by, aren't they, at the, the, the start and end? So they assume they're just anonymous. Yeah, but then this by is actually this person's nickname, which um, they nickname. Would just wouldn't, you wouldn't sign off your letter just with your name and an exclamation mark after it, would you? Just no. seems a bit, it just all seemed very contrived. That I'm fairly sure no one has ever had the nickname by and signed their letters by just saying by. But, no. um, but there we go. So yes, and it uh, yes, and it was obviously the uh, Columbo where the um, spoiler alert um, lady at the pet shop. Yeah, it who turns just out was insanely jealous and yeah. then just went a bit mad and started well, killing everybody yeah. else and well, him. One of a succession of dazzlingly beautiful, um, the glamorous blonde ladies who inexplicably falls head over heels in love with this old geezer for some reason. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So he just he just doesn't hang together. No, although I will say to to give him his due, when you actually look at the mechanism of how he puts the story together, because you do see from the um, perpetrator's point of view occasionally, mm. and actually I was looking through it, and. One of the things you don't know is, is it a man or a woman? Yeah. 
And when you're reading how he puts together those bits with the point of view of the perpetrator and stuff, it's very skillfully done how he yeah. avoids giving it away, yeah. which is the art of a of a mystery writer, mm. I suppose. And he yeah. obviously gets that very well. It 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 is. And I read, I, w- I went back to the first one and read it again, and it is very very well done. But it's so well done that you just absolutely therefore know it's a woman. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you, yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. So it kind of not well backfires a little bit. I don't know. He, you know, he, he kind of does it once, and then he does it again, and then he does it again, and it's so obviously gender neutral that you're just thinking, "Oh, this has just got to be a um, a female perpetrator." He does does throw in a bit of misdirection with the, the the guy in the antique shop, doesn't he? Just to oh yeah, yeah, throw us off the scent a little bit. Who's a moderately entertaining character? Yeah, but but not hilarious. No. We're, we're missing we're missing any big hilarity in this book really yeah and he's not he's not done that for a little while now has he um, it just doesn't seem to be in the mood it, it's, no and from it, yeah from what i've read in interviews as well he, he he wasn't in the mood he found the the period very dark and so <laughs> his, yeah, his writing well, became very dark well uh, you know it, it, it's certainly true the last few isn't it you know he's he's painting like the city and the people in a very negative light really um but you know, I, I think sometimes it comes off better than it did in this entry. I would say. Yeah. Right. Okay. Then. Well, we'll we'll get towards summing up, and I'll, I'll before we do that though, I'll give you a couple of contemporary reviews. And I didn't find many reviews online for this. I'm sure there's plenty out there, but I can't necessarily get access to all of them. But I have got well, one from Marilyn Stasio in the in the New York Times from the 10th of February 1991. And it opens with the stark title of Ed McBain's new police procedural, Widows, Morrow, $19, says it all. Men are murdered and women weep, unless, of course, one of the widows did the dirty deed herself. Well, quite a lot of women are murdered as well, Marilyn. Yeah. So, <laughs> of course they are. It's a, <laughs> it's a crime book. It's, you know, women are victims. It's, yeah. you, it's the problem you, you get with some of these sometimes. Yeah, like Corella's mother notwithstanding, the characters do not inspire much sympathy, <laughs> since they are only slightly less materialistic and self-catering than their dearly departed. Even the normally compassionate cops are more touched by the fate of poor Amos, the sweet-tempered lab retriever. <laughs> but then, she goes on, if the, but if the author can't work us up over these odious citizens, he does his usual brilliant job of making human beings out of hard-bitten policemen. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. She talks about how the bit with Eileen Burke finally works her way out of psychotherapy and into hostage work, a career move that loosens Mr. McBain's formidable skill at descriptive procedures and occasions the novel's best action scenes. Crying's fine, but there's nothing like a tense hostage situation for grabbing mm-hmm. one's total attention. So, that agrees with us, I think. Yeah, pretty spot on. Okay, and once I've zoomed in on this one, because I seem to have put it on the page really, really small... Come on, Zoom. So this is a British review. This is from the Daily Mail on the 21st of February, 1991. McBain junkies are not kept waiting long for a fix. It is fewer than six months since Vespers, the last 8 7th Precinct novel, was published. And now, bingo, here's another. How does he do it? My theory is that he is as compulsive about writing his thrillers as his legion of fans is about reading them. One of the chief qualities is that he is a very moral writer as well as an intelligent one. His fictitious city, based on New York, is brilliantly evoked, not only as an inferno where the cops can only hope to skim the surface of the horrors within, but also as a vital backdrop to modern life, where, against all odds, hope and humour spring eternal. 
I don't really know that they do. Um, mm, not so much you, just at this era. No, but, no. Uh, you don't come away with a song in your heart, do you? No. <laughs> but yeah, Widows has all the hallmarks of vintage McBain, cracking plot, pace, style, wit, authenticity, and serious intent. The author apparently thinks it is his best yet. I think I agree with him. Well, he's going to say that, isn't he? <laughs> you know, to be fair. Yeah, he's going to say this is my 19th best entry. <laughs> yeah. He's going to refer to his own Kenneth. <laughs> yeah, this one's all right, but I'd recommend you read one from earlier. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay, then. Well, we better get to summing up and scoring. And I think I will come to Steve-O first for this, if you would be so kind. Well, yes, I think uh, I've made my thoughts clear, haven't I? So I don't suppose there's that much point in repeating those. Yeah, a bit of a frustrating entry, really. Good bits. Definitely, the the end is the uh, by far the most engaging, and obviously the the plot with uh, Eileen and Bert and the um, her new career in the um, hostage uh, team. Uh, now, I've not been sent to the Kenneth scores, which is um, oh sorry makes any accurate you have scoring to do it blind. Uh, very difficult. But yeah, I'm going. What am I going? I'm going 55. I think it's a five Ooh. and a half. Oh, out right. Of 10. Okay. Oh, well, I better go to Morgan then. Well, I mean, I, I, I do agree with all of the, the points you've made about it. It, it. There's. That main plot does not hold the interest like some of the plots will, but there's a lot of good stuff in there. I did still really enjoy it. I, I, I feel like it's important to stress that it was still a very enjoyable read. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to go a bit higher. I think it's more like a 64 police shields. Right. Okay. And as I am the first time reader of this, I will say, I mean, just in, in a tiny bit of Kenneth summary, the last two we did, Vespers, we got 64, Lullaby got 62, and I think it was better than those for me, it's mainly because the the set pieces were so good, and they mainly hmm. were the ones with Eileen Burke and the ending. So I'd, I'm not super keen. I like the fact that is, like I say, you can see some really good McBain craftsmanship in it, and it does kick us off into the 90s books of the series, I think. There's, there's a couple I've not read coming up as well again. Ooh. So, and I know this has, but I do know that this has implications and it is referred back to, particularly the Corella father, you know, oh, case. And yeah, so I think I would probably go, I think I'm just going to go for a solid 60, please, shields. And that gives us a grand Kenneth total of... 60. With some rounding down, of course, <laughs> to 59. Oof. So. I, I, feel, I feel like it's a little harsh, but you, your case has spoken. Yeah, I mean, it does put it down the bottom end of things, but it it, it puts it above Ghosts, 80 Million Eyes and Lightning. Well, so, fair enough. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a bit of a shame. I think, you know, if I was just awarding the ending... A score it would be up in the 80s probably mm. <laughs> if you know what i mean yeah but yeah i think you, it's very hard to look past the the notion of not really giving a damn about anyone in it and having yeah. to suffer reading the porny letters yeah if you were <laughs> if you were gonna you know throw somebody a book out of your collection i'm fairly sure this would be one of the 
last bunch you'd go to, I think. I think I think you would suggest a hell of a lot more of the other entries before this one. This is true. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, well, we've summed that up anyway. And uh, the next book in the series, Any Road, is um, is Kiss. Cool. Hmm. Yes, Kiss. Oh, and I'll tell you what I should mention, actually, before we go, and I should have done this at the top of the show, but I will just point out as well that the publishers for this were William Morrow & Co. in Hardback in America, Avon in Softback in America, and it's Heinemann in the UK and Mandarin, as the past couple of books have been, just to keep everyone on track where we are with publishers. No changes just yet, but there'll be more coming. Right, like I say, yeah, next one is Kiss, and we will be back with our bonus episode... So until then, I'm going to say ta-ra, ta-ra, and Steve-o. Goodbye. And Morgan. Fare thee well. <laughs> <laughs>